Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome back to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. That's right, it's Ben Tingey again. It is my privilege to welcome back two of our disruptive innovation Sherpas, Ann Summers Hogg and Jay Gerhardt. Are you guys ready to nerd out? Sure are. Always. <laughs> Hopefully, our listeners remember episode seven, The Sky is Falling or Not when we tackled the hot topic of Amazon, Google, and Apple and their potential plans for the healthcare industry. Even though we predicted it would not be the last time we talked about these companies and healthcare. And we were right. Sure enough, the past couple of weeks have seen some big announcements. First, Apple announced its efforts to bring the patient medical record to its health app. Then the the big bomb dropped that got everyone talking. And even my, my dad, who's a Senior HR executive, my mom, they were asking me about it during our weekly FaceTime call with the grandkids. Uh, the formation of a new uh, not-for-profit healthcare company backed by Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase. For our disruptive innovation Sherpas, this also meant that one of our favorite podcasts dipped its toe in healthcare for probably the very first time. But before we jump in, we need to remind our listeners, especially those who have made it this far, episode 12 to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend or colleague, give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and connect with us on LinkedIn or on Twitter using the hashtag InnovationEngine. But first, for those who aren't caught up on the news, here's a really quick summary of the Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan announcement. These three corporate behemoths, with a combined market cap of $1.6 trillion dollars, and a combined workforce of 1.2 million people announced on January 30th that they are forming a partnership to address healthcare for their U.S. employees. And I'm quoting um, from the press release, with the aim of improving employee satisfaction and reducing costs. The three companies, which bring their scale and complementary expertise to this long-term effort, will pursue this objective through an independent company that is free from profit-making incentives and constraints. The initial focus of the new company will be on technology solutions that will provide U.S. employees and their families with simplified, high-quality, and transparent health care at a reasonable cost. Of the partnership, Jeff, Be- Jeff Bezos said, The healthcare system is complex, and we enter this challenge open-eyed about the degree of difficulty. Now, I can picture in my mind's eye some healthcare exec- executives out there kind of rolling their eyes and thinking to themselves, well, Jeff, you're a pretty smart guy, but you just wait. You're going to figure out how complex it really is. Um, after the announcement, there was immediate movement in the markets. Uh, insurance companies and pharma stocks took a hit. Uh, there was also immediate movement among the healthcare and tech futurists, each with their own predictions and theories about what these companies might first, where they might first apply their cloud and uh, what new model of care they might develop. Our team particularly enjoys the Exponent podcast. And I will stop there because I have been talking for quite a while and it's time for our listeners to listen to our Sherpas. So, Jay. Tell us about the Exponent Podcast and aggregation theory. Okay. But first, I have one question for you I didn't get to ask. How are you, Ben? 
<laughs> Great. And that was a reference for our listeners to the Exponent podcast, which we encourage you to listen to. So um, a little bit of background uh, on uh, Exponent podcast. Uh, ben Thompson uh, is a uh, uh, tech analyst who's really highly regarded. He's had a, a blog post called Stratechery, I think, since 2013. And every week he writes a, a free weekly article on uh, on tech. It's usually Google, Amazon, Facebook, some of the the companies we've been talking about. And then he's got other articles behind the paywall. But uh, every week he puts out a free one. And then usually that article turns into the Exponent podcast that Friday, which he co-hosts with James Allworth. James is the actually the co-author of How Will You Measure Your Life, one of our favorite yeah, books. Clayton Christensen. And he was a student of Clay's. Uh, so really both he and Ben are pretty well steeped in, in disruptive innovation theory. And really they talk about tech, society, a lot of strategy. So really excellent uh, podcast to listen to. So you know their relationship I think got started really with Ben's first blog, which was provocatively titled What Clayton Christensen got wrong about disruptive innovation theory. So I think that that uh, caught James's eye, and they've been talking about it ever since. And really, over time, uh, you know, Clay's original theory that was back in the mid nineteen nineties. I mean, uh, Al Gore had barely invented the internet when that came out, so <laughs> you, you didn't really have that to deal with. So back then, it really didn't explain all the phenomenon. And, and Dr. Christensen has always talked about it's great to see how you explain anomalies. So over time, Ben has formulated this aggregation theory to explain what has been happening with the internet and some of these huge dominant. Uh, companies that really other theories just haven't been able to adequately un- explain. So I'll probably give it short shrift here, uh, but try to explain very quickly because it's important context and we think it's really good uh, lens from which to view this this Amazon uh, venture. So aggregation theory at its heart is based on the fact that the internet truly has changed everything for the world. And the ability to digitize and reach a global scale does things for a business model that was never there. So really, it's based on the fact that you think about a value chain, a very basic value chain of um, suppliers, distributors, consumers. And in the old world, really, a lot of value was created and money was made really coming from distribution and distributors who would then integrate back into the supply. So if you think about newspaper industry, that sort of thing. And to explain aggregation theory and what's happening, I think Airbnb is a good example. We use that in our very first episode to explain disruptive innovation. And if you think about the hotel industry pre-Airbnb, you've got on left side, you've got hotel they're the suppliers. And then on the right side, you've got consumers. Well, what's, what's in the middle? Well, there's a couple activities in the middle. And Ben Thompson has explained those are reservations that cons- customers make. And then trust, which is in the middle. And, and, and that kind of surprises you. But what hotels did is integrate trust and properties. So the brands of Marriott, Holiday Inn, you don't have to guess a whole lot of when you're going to go there. You know what you're going to get because of the brand. 
And those two things are integrated. And then really reservations are uh, modularized or commoditized and done a lot of different ways. So Airbnb comes along, and what they do with the Internet is build a platform really at a global scale that integrates reservations and trust. And then they modularize or commoditize all the properties. Because before, you know, the first thing about Airbnb, I'm going to go stay in someone's home. Ooh, (laughs) that's creepy. I don't know who lives there. What's going to happen to me? And their platform actually integrated the reservations and the trust, a different part of the value chain. And then the Internet helped it scale across the globe with essentially zero marginal cost for new uh, new customers. And that's the new business model and the essence of aggregation theory. One thing I love about aggregation theory is that it does, it, it's such a great frame, framework to understand the success of so many of the most prominent companies that there are now, like Amazon and Netflix, where they have uh, merged those value pieces and integrated the supply with the distribution and uh, it's such a great it, – it yeah. helps you understand it, it so much more easily. And we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Ben is great at visuals, and that's what's tough about the podcast is I'm trying to make We'd things visual. We'd love to jot on the whiteboard for you. It's a, it's a little bit hard, but it's replicated uh, with Uber and Netflix. You see the same formula happening, and that's why we're going to apply it today with Amazon. Right. Well, there were a couple of episodes that came out on Exponent over the last uh, couple of weeks on uh, Amazon. Um, so, Ann Summers, what what are your thoughts on Ben Thompson's first take on Amazon's potential to transform healthcare? Sure. So, I think one of the things that Ben mentioned, and I can't remember if it was the first or second podcast, but he mentioned that one of the things Amazon does so well is when they move into a new industry, they are their own first and best customer. So they create a solution to solve their own problem, and then they sell that solution to other people after they've proven its value and used it themselves. I think that this will likely be no different. I agree with him that just as they've identified that they have a problem with controlling employee health spend and managing their employees' health, that this isn't a problem that solely they are faced with, right? Everyone, every company in the U.S. is is struggling to address the same issue. So I believe after they become their own first and best customer with this new entity, that they'll be able to sell it to others, too. Yeah, I think the, uh, the other part of his take is um, he views Amazon's ultimate strategy as taking a cut of all economic activity in the United States, which sounds kind of crazy. But if you look at what they're doing with e-commerce and AWS, Amazon Web Services, they're essentially infrastructure for all of – for a good chunk of online retail. And again, they were their own first and best customer for AWS. Um, And now that's being branched out to a lot of other e-commerce companies and and other companies. So they're looking at healthcare, which is 18% of the economy. And, you know, if there's even a small, I think that's $3.2 trillion. I can't do math real well. I'm not sure what 1% of $3.2 trillion, but it's a lot of revenue. Uh, One thing that I've been thinking about is, is this push with these three new companies really about expense reduction or do they have grander visions 
for? I mean, because the, the use case of Amazon Web Services and how they were their first and best customer for that, and then they've spin it around and are now selling it out to others. And it's now, I think, their most profitable uh, division. Can we predict that they're seeing that far ahead with this new healthcare company and are hoping that, yes, it'll be our first mess customer and we're going to make it work so well that we are then going to be able to sell it to others going forward? Like, are you saying, is it just about yeah, like, just it, about managing spend? Yeah, because the, the way that the press release makes it sound is that it's this it, it, altruistic thing. And, it, and, and it's a kind of a humble approach that like, well, we're just going to work together to use technology to try to reduce expenses and improve the employee experience. And maybe that is the first step. But are, I mean, is Amazon and everyone else, Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan, are they looking three, four, five steps ahead with this? I think part of it is vague because they don't necessarily know what they're going to uncover or know where they're going to go. I think they're starting with one goal, which is to manage the health spend of their employees and then ultimately offer it to somebody else. But I think part of the vagueness in the vagueness, I don't know if that's a word, in the press release was because they aren't 100 percent sure what's going to happen once they start. I think it's probably a mix of altruistic and, and business efforts probably on all of their parts. I, I don't know the political persuasions of all of them. I do think Warren Buffett has kind of spoken out about single payer and that sort of thing. So there could be an angle there. Is this a way to actually steer politicians in a particular uh, direction for which the Amazon healthcare infrastructure can supply um, all the solutions. So there's some of that. But again, I think they don't know exactly where this is going to go. And Amazon's willing to experiment. They're willing to try this on something internally and see where it goes. But they, you know, they seek to become the world's most consumer-centric company. I do believe that. And this is a, a slice of the economy that's very large that has been difficult from a consumer perspective. Well, loads of people are excited about the prospects of healthcare becoming more like Amazon, more consumer-centric. Uh, but throw some cold water on this. What are some big obstacles that might not be immediately obvious? I mean, after all, healthcare – it's a complex industry. It's very hard, it's isn't hard. it? I think I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll take a first stab at this. I think we talked about the value chain. The distribution portion of the healthcare value chain is really complex. You've got, you know, we do, and Ben talked about this, we're kind of in this post World War II. Uh, part of healthcare is really um, driven by the employer-based system, and we're still in that system. So we've got employers driving a lot, but then we've also got healthcare exchanges that individuals can go to. We've got two different governmental programs, Medicare and Medicaid, but there's also health plans involved in those. So you've got this whole mix of insurers and the government and individuals all accessing and purchasing the market in different ways. And that's that's three-dimensional chess. Yeah. Another thing that strikes me as a potential barrier is just the number of regulations that exist in healthcare. And there aren't regulations on how fast you can ship things to people or moving services to the cloud. 
But I think about when Amazon, I don't remember exactly when it was, a few years ago, when they said that they were going to deliver things via drone, and then they ran into all those FAA regulations, and it just halted. And so if I look at their past experience in highly regulated spaces, that might be one place where they encounter barriers that they aren't used to. However, with their partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase coming from obviously finance, another highly regulated industry, maybe they're pulling in a resource and know-how there that they don't have themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably throw one last one in there is how healthcare, even despite all the mergers and huge regional systems, it's still largely local. It's a lot of local delivery, and there's large delivery systems, and there's small hospitals, so there's a lot of pieces. Now, that may or may not be a barrier that Amazon – can, so that may not end up being a problem depending on what happens with their plans and the value chain, but it's it's something to deal with. And I think that also depends on which piece of healthcare they decide to tackle, because some of yes. it's local, but some of it doesn't matter. So I was at uh, this dinner a couple of weeks ago, and there was a a guy there who asked me about what I thought about brand loyalty is it real or is it just that so many brands have created exit barriers that make it difficult uh amazon is one of the most beloved companies in the entire world from the consumer's perspective do they are they do they want this do they want amazon to take over healthcare they want it to work like amazon uh, you know, do they want them to take it over? I, I don't know. But they, they want the one click. They want the shopping. They want the the convenience, the transparency, uh, you know, all of those things. So they just want it to work that way. Yeah, we're, we're in the experience economy and people are used to seamless, frictionless, amazingless, amazingless? No, amazing experiences like Amazon or um I don't know, your iPhone. So I think that they expect healthcare to be that way too. And so far, healthcare incumbents have not been able to deliver that. Well, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, Jay covered some of the, the key aggregation theory concepts. And so let, let's let's go back to that. Let's, let's revisit one specific to healthcare. What is the critical differentiator for healthcare incumbents? And can some aspect of that differentiator be digitized? I'll take a first pass at that, and I'm going to add a clarifier or two (laughs) as I answer it. So I think that really depends on which part of healthcare we're looking at. So I'm going to look at this through the lens of primary care incumbents, which I'm defining as primary care that's offered by an existing healthcare system or through just a traditional bricks-and-mortar primary care model. I think in the days gone by, the real differentiator for these types of primary care models was the trust and the relationship with the primary care provider. And in the future, I think that's substantially less important, especially because as millennials become more and more the consumers, we know that they don't really trust health systems. At least that's what we've discovered in our research and conversations with trying to understand what they hire to get their healthcare jobs done. And the majority of them don't actually have a relationship with a primary care provider. Instead, they trust their peers, they go to social media, they crowdsource their solutions. So I think the issue there is twofold. One, the next generation of healthcare consumers doesn't value the trust and the relationship as much as prior generations have. 
And they've actually digitized trust because now they go to digital channels to get it. So I think that's I'll stop with that one for right now and then I'll let Jay take it. I'll, I'll maybe put a little different spin on it because I, I this is where I like the Airbnb example. Um, I mean, you think that the hotel business and travel business is really different from healthcare, But think about that middle of the value chain I, I described with reservations and trust. And if you broaden it out beyond primary care to the whole industry with healthcare systems or insurers, and we said the fact healthcare is really hard. Why is healthcare really hard? It's very hard to understand how to navigate things like picking a doctor, picking a specialist, an insurance plan. Yeah. How much does it cost? How do I use it? So think about the analogy of reservations and trust to healthcare. Um, it doesn't have that. I'm probably getting ahead to the next question, but um, what? You know, what's the marketplace for healthcare? It's very difficult to navigate. And I, I think the opportunity is there to differentiate and digitize the buying process. How do you buy healthcare? It's, it's very difficult these days. And a lot of people aren't even paying for it themselves. So you've got that other dynamic. So I think it's the selection, the purchasing, and, and how do you actually understand or trust what you're buying because it's an opaque industry. Yeah, and that actually goes to the second uh, differentiator I had thought of, which is providers. The resource of physicians and nurse practitioners and knowledgeable healthcare providers is something that incumbents have traditionally held. However, as the disruptors in the space are actually making the buying experience better and they're making it technology-based and they're making it trustworthy and transparent, providers are flocking to these models. So places like One Medical or Sherpa or the list goes on and on. You've heard us talk about them in podcasts, in prior podcasts. And I think we're losing the advantage we had because Providers now want to go work for these more attractive models, and patients want to seek care from these more attractive, transparent, digital, life-centric approaches. And I think that's another place where we're actually seeing the differentiator of providers be digitized, if you will, because they're being attracted to these more technology-enabled, digitally-savvy models. How else do you both see aggregation theory playing out in the healthcare industry? You know, I think about what... Amazon is is likely to do and in with this first 1.2 million employees which is a pretty good sample size but again it's not it's not so much it's not really enough to completely leverage that scale against insurers and dramatically drop the costs and cut all the pharmacy costs and all that sort of thing but I think what they have the opportunity to do is create a marketplace that's what amazon.com is is it's a transparent easy to use marketplace that now actually over half of it is third party sellers so they know how to navigate selling their own items and the items of others uh, so it's it's creating this front door, this interface that you have where you understand how to make decisions. You know, it'll be difficult. They'll probably have to have a couple of different front doors, maybe some for employers, some for employees. So that will be a layer they're not used to. But it all comes down to, you know, 
your your reviews, you know, your the price, all those sorts of things that that may be out there to some extent today in healthcare, but no one's really figured it out. It's that big, hairy, complicated problem that who knows, Amazon might figure out. And to that point of there are a lot of reviews and perhaps partially transparent price listings, people don't necessarily trust them. Especially we've heard in our customer interviews when ratings about a provider come from the health system, like when it's on our website, they don't necessarily trust it because obviously we're going to say great things about our providers. But people trust Amazon. They trust the peer reviews of products that other people have bought. And I think that trust is something they already hold. So to your yeah. point, Jay, they they have that benefit in, in creating that marketplace. And going back to aggregation theory, what what all of these aggregators have done is develop this really wonderful experience at the front end that they use for either millions or billions of people. And people use it because it's great. And then more people use it. So then you have this virtual cycle of it gets greater and greater and, and greater. So that's kind of where I see it potentially playing out as they uh, they they integrate that front end. And then, you know, who knows how the value chain shifts, but what aggregation theory then says is that you begin to modularize or commoditize components at the other end. And will that be the insurers? Will it be the pharmacy companies? Will it be healthcare systems? We're not quite sure the order that that comes in, but I think that's where it goes because Amazon's based on great selection, great cost, great convenience. That's what they know how to do first and foremost. And I think that's their first primitive that they build. It's They're going to be their own first customer for that is what I would believe. I completely agree with the experience component and that that's what they've done so well is that they know how to create a seamless, engaging, delightful experience that gets people to come back again and again and again. And if they can aggregate the healthcare suppliers with that experience on top of it, they will win. So here's a quick question. Well, I don't know if it's that quick, but before we go on to the next question, we've, I mean, this is a, this is a partner, a tripartite partnership between Amazon, JP Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway. And so far we've only really been talking about how Amazon is, is involved in this. What benefits, what you know, besides bringing their workforce and and some money, uh, what benefits, what competencies, what skills are J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway bringing to this partnership that could be ex- exceptionally valuable in supporting? I mean, we're assuming Amazon's going to do all the work, and I don't know if that's true. No, I d- I don't know that I'm assuming that. It may have come out in our comments that way. I think the first thing that they've done is definitely the right decision, or Clay. Christensen would say it was the right decision, is that they've created a separate entity. They aren't trying to do this from within any of their organizations. They're creating a new organization outside of all three of them. And they will likely pull the necessary resources and expertise from each of those three organizations to make it work. And I think I mentioned before, J.P. Morgan obviously brings access to capital, which is critical if you're going to run experiments and have the latitude to test and to be patient and... I think that's that's a big one. I think another thing that Berkshire Hathaway brings is they're the insurer of insurers. So to have that backing behind your 
new entity where you're in a way going against going up against health insurers is something that is pretty good to have. Yeah, I think Ben Thompson pointed that out. It's good to have in your back pocket, even if they don't quite know where they're going to go with that. But uh, that's that's a good competency to have. I think it's interesting that it's not for profit at this point. And that that's. That's one thing about what we've talked about. If they create something, if Amazon really wants to fulfill its strategy of being effectively a tax on on the whole economy, how do they go there from a not-for-profit venture? Because they'd have to change that at some point unless they're going to be the infrastructure for which the not-for-profit venture um, ends up performing in the future. And again, that could really depend on what happens politically in five to 10 years. Okay. So thinking about aggregation theory and the value chain of suppliers, distributors, and consumers, and thinking about the goals of this partnership of these three companies, which part of the healthcare industry or, or uh, you know, along which part of the healthcare value chain, who should be most concerned by this announcement? Jay, you take that first. I I mean, I think the middle, if you look at history, and again, who are the suppliers, who are the distributors? Really, the healthcare providers, who's providing care, whether it's healthcare systems or uh, physician groups, home health agencies, those are suppliers of care, care. to patients. And really, what's in the middle distributors and insurance companies are part of that. And if you look at industry profitability and their desire to put a tax on on the economy, that's a big, big chunk of the economy. And I think that's why you saw insurance companies going down because they're, they're in the middle. I mean, everyone needs to be concerned because they're going to squeeze the whole industry, but probably what comes first is that middle point. Yeah, I I agree with Jay. We really need Will in this conversation for somebody to disagree with us. um, I I think they are going to go after or not go after, but perhaps pharma and insurance should be the ones who are most concerned. Because if you look at where the profit flows in healthcare, it's not to the providers. And therefore, if I'm Amazon and I want to tax the economy, I'm going to go after the place where the money is being made. So... Pharma and insurance are those places. But they're the first places. Again, if aggregation theory plays out and they kind of uh, either minimize or wipe out that middle distribution layer and actually take it over, what happens is that far left side of the value chain, which are is our suppliers of the content, which is the delivery of health care, will be modularized or, in other words, commoditized. Right, right. I'm not saying providers shouldn't be scared. But I think first they're going to go after the pharma and the insurance. And to your point of the suppliers are really going to become the commodity or that's what's going to get modularized. It's like Clay's theory of interdependence versus modularity. And as the – or I guess we haven't really talked about that on a podcast yet. But effectively the theory of interdependence versus modularity says that as – an industry gets more mature, things become more modular. So they become more like commodities because what you're competing on is being fast, flexible, and responsive. What is Amazon? Fast, flexible, and responsive. 
And if they come into healthcare along with J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway, they're going to bring that approach and thus modularization and commoditization is going to have to follow. And I think what the the uh, what that means for a healthcare system because we're in the process of forming bigger and more integrated healthcare systems, and that may be more that may be fine. But within those systems, we're going to have to take our products and put them into building blocks, into modules that can then be put on the Amazon marketplace. So. You know, again, there's still a role, I think, for the – and again, I'm biased. I work for an integrated health system, so I'd like to see a future for it. <laughs> but in that Amazon marketplace pl- world, we've got to be able to put our products out there in modules. They, Amazon isn't going to want to sell this in these big blocks of, you know, buy this system and every you know narrow network, that sort of thing. They're going to want to buy care episodes, bundles – in discrete pieces that people want to buy when they want to buy them. Ben Thompson in the Exponent podcast, in one of the latest episodes, he quotes Jeff Bezos, who said that, you know, what do you do if you have the strongest lungs as you lower the oxygen in the room? And I think that quote makes a lot more sense given this context, what we just talked about. I think we're gasping now. <laughs> I think the oxygen just <laughs> left this room. for breath. Let's, let's maybe finish here with this last question. And let's, let's make it a fun one. Like each of you to tell me what you would do as the new CEO of this new company selected by Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, and Jamie Dimon. What would you do as CEO? Do you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. Um, I mean, the easy thing is I'm going to hire the innovation engine to help me. (laughs) Uh, I'm also going to request some really good office space and time in the new spheres outside the Amazon headquarters. So I'm going to do that. (laughs) Um, I think one of the things uh, I would do is, you know, Amazon can create a lot of this infrastructure their own. They have a lot of capability through AWS, but there's some specific uh, again, using their language of primitives, there's some specific primitives or building blocks that they will need for this front door. Um, one of those things could be price transparency. That's incredibly di- we're all you know. There's not the perfect tool for that. There are companies like a Castlight. There, there could be other companies they they look at. So that's a building block. Um, it could be AI-enabled navigation. So I could see them, you know, do they buy a Castlight or something like a buoy or Ada Health, supplement it with their own AI efforts. Um, Zelth is a company developed, you know, out in Seattle through Providence Ventures that has some really good uh, things for consumers. So I think they're not going to buy everything, but they could selectively um, purchase um, some smaller, medium-sized companies that help them build these primitives quickly that they can stitch together with AWS. Yeah, that I, I don't disagree with any of those. I would propose a five-step plan because I have to have a plan before I start anything. Five steps. Yes, five steps. So the first one is already done now. So separate it from the core. They did that for me. That's step one. Step two is I would hire a risk-seeking COO because I'm far too risk-averse to run this entity (laughs) without someone with a different mindset uh, who can balance out that risk aversion. So I'd hire a risk-seeking co-pilot. Third, 
I would identify the healthcare jobs to be done of the customer base. And in this case, I think that's twofold because the first customer is the CEOs of Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan. And then really the second customer base is obviously the employees of all those entities. Then I would outline my hypotheses that I needed to test about these customer jobs to be done and what are the tests I would need to run in order to either validate or invalidate those hypotheses. As part of that process, this is something I've hammered on in prior podcasts, I'd make sure I knew the metrics of success. So how am I going to know if this worked or if it didn't? Step five would be that I gather the necessary dollars and mines that I need to pull this all off. So like Jay said, who are the other startups you can partner with or who are the thought leaders from prior healthcare startups who you could maybe recruit to your new your new company? It's, I, I like the five steps. You're going to need the innovation engine to help out with those five steps. <laughs> I, I think you're probably um, right. <laughs> You know, they talk about um, Amazon's culture and the two pizza teams, and it'll be interesting to see if some of these hairy, thorny issues can be solved with two pizza teams or if they're going to take grander efforts. But as they build some of these primitives, maybe they can pull them off and do what you said, the experimenting and, and develop the hypotheses and and do it, do it quickly. The other thing I think of, and this, this is probably – self-serving for us to say because we're with healthcare systems. But again, we're not quite sure how they're going to address the middle middle of that value chain, but that probably is the place they start is more in distribution, which is really more in the land of insurance companies. Now, of course, there are some healthcare systems that are insurance companies too, but probably having some way to interface with local and regional healthcare systems because you know, Amazon will not be able to deliver all of those services. Centrally, they, at least, they, yeah. And it, and it could be that, you know, the end game when they've aggregated and we're down at the end of the supply chain getting commoditized, that that relationship looks different. But I, I think they are going to have to have a way to to interface with them. Or... This is going to go against something I said in episode seven, that we should think about how we would partner with them. And not that we shouldn't partner, but if I'm running this new company or if I'm Amazon and one of the resources I don't have is providers, but I do have a lot of cash, I don't really need healthcare systems. I can just buy the providers. Use, ever, use the rest of the system as a cost center, uh, potentially. So maybe the primary care. Yeah. And like I get you need the infrastructure for tertiary and quaternary care, but maybe I'm not going to tackle that piece. Could could be true. You just own the front door of it, the, the primary care. The aggregation of piece of it. Yeah. Well, Bezos, Diamond, Buffett, you heard it here. You guys better tune in to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation <laughs> podcast and listen to our Sherpas because they've, uh, they've got some answers for you. Yeah. To our listeners, thank you for your support. Uh, join us for our next two episodes where you'll discover that we do practice what we preach when it comes to applying innovation theories like human-centered design, jobs to be done, business model innovation to accelerate the transformation of healthcare. We will profile proactive health, a new primary care model recently launched in the Charlotte area. This is Ben Tingey, an Amazon Prime subscriber. Uh, <laughs> until next time. And get better soon, Will. We're down a Sherpa today. We missed you. 
jobs. So nine was that? It was nine? The, the two mm-hmm. jobs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Episode nine. Nine. All right. All right. All right. One, mm-hmm. two, three. Is it recording? I sure hope so.